Welcome friends, this is the extended version of the Underground Writing Podcast for the week of August 13th, 2018. I'm Matt Malian, Director of Underground Writing. And I'm Alvin Shim, Producer for the Underground Writing Podcast. On our bi-weekly podcast, we read and discuss a piece of writing by an underground writing student and briefly update listeners about what's happening in the program as a whole. Because we're a creative writing program serving at-risk populations, we do not mention students by name. We hope you enjoy this edition of the podcast. Today we're featuring a student uh, piece of writing from our YMCA Oasis Daylight Center site. And the Daylight Center is a safe place for community teens to gather during the day that includes meals and arts and crafts, educational workshops. Uh, They have a computer lab for vocational academic support, uh, and they have different activities offered throughout the day. The poem is entitled, I Too Sing America. I too sing America, in hospital beds, wires stuck to my skull with heavy glue, in an office checking yes to disability, clarifying, I have epilepsy, but they aren't listening after that. The I have, the yes. I too sing America. In my nightmares of fire and threats, the news eagerly shares. In school, working ahead, because if the medicine fails, I can't take back the time. I too sing America. They hear epilepsy and pretend they can't hear me. So this is a poem that comes out of a prompt that we've used quite a bit in underground writing. And in the last episode, we talked about the concept of aftering a poem or, re, or riffing with a pre-existing piece of literature. And so this, this piece of literature is written after Langston Hughes' poem, I Too. And I think it would be, it would be good to, to read that maybe, so I'll, I'll do that. I Too. I Too Sing America. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes, but I laugh and eat well and grow strong. Tomorrow, I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen, then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. I, too, am America. So we've brought that poem in, the Langston Hughes poem in, to the workshops quite a bit to have the students interact with it because it's very it's a very uh, generative piece of writing by Hughes and it calls forth students uh, thoughts on their place and uh, things they have to say and Langston Hughes poem is also a riff or an aftering on something he was reading as a young man in the 20s and 30s or even slightly before that uh, Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass um, where over and over Whitman is talking about what he sees in America and cataloging it, literally cataloging it, line after line after line of what he's seen in America, how he's seen himself as part of America. You know, near, near the start of the the start of the poem in a section, sometimes uh, titled "I Hear America Singing," he's listing things like mechanics and carpenters and masons and boatmen's and uh, shoemakers, woodcutters. But I think Langston Hughes looking at this in his context and his time didn't see himself fully in Whitman's poem. So he writes, uh, well, I too, I too, I'm going to insert myself in the canon of literature. I too am part of America and uh, I wanna place myself in that. So we, when we take the poem into our sites, 
again, it's a generative for conversation and writing, and it provides a couple of angles for engagement with a student. One is that as they're looking at the piece of writing, Langston Hughes, they may or may not see themselves in that poem. Or in the writing that we discuss in general in underground writing workshop, uh, in a given workshop or overall, they may not see themselves. We try to choose pieces where they will see themselves sometimes, mm -hmm. but not all the pieces are they going to see themselves in. And so we, we say, well, write something where you, where you see yourself, where you're represented. And the other thing that it does is, and this is more subtle, one will not be represented as a writer and your writing will not be represented in the canon of literature if we take that as a whole, not just what is known and famous, but the whole of it. You will not do that unless you're writing. So by writing, you're inserting yourself in that, uh, what I like to, to think of as this uh, surging river of literature that runs through time. And so they're uh, writing I2 pieces so that they can see themselves better in representing who they are, but also then they become part of this river, which is exciting. Both those angles are exciting for the students, and I think they really respond well. Um, this student at Oasis, for example, really powerful poem. And um, I cannot readily call to mind a poem that uh, engages the subject of epilepsy at all in recent memory. I, mm -hmm. And I could, you know, if I, if we Google it or something, we might be able to find some, but it doesn't come easily to mind. So that in itself is very unique, and I like that it's part, it's engaging with this history of literature, but it's also this new thing that's not all that common mm -hmm. in poetry. So again, that, that section I hear America singing from Whitman, I hear America singing the varied carols I hear, those of mechanics, each one singing his as it should be blithe and strong, the carpenter singing his as he measures his plank or beam, the mason singing his as he makes ready for work, or leaves off work, the boatman singing what belongs to him in his boat, the deckhand singing on the steamboat deck, the shoemaker singing as he sits on his bench, the hatter singing as he stands. So again, a lot of different things that are seen in there, but mm -hmm. I don't think Langston Hughes saw himself in that or in other parts of the poem. And I think we're also in this time, it's, it's not unique uh, in the sense of people are rising up and saying, hey, mm -hmm. we want to be represented too. Look at us. We, we're part of this too. That, that's not unique, but we are in a resurgence of that. I feel like we're in a resurgence of that in our current American context from anything from various uh, new and improved and strengthening women's movements or movements that are discussing gender or sexuality. And no matter what anyone thinks or whatever position they have, those things are important because people need to be seen. This student writing the poem at the Oasis site, it's not only an assertion, but it's this need to be seen mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a real way, in an appropriate way, in a way that's not marginalized and hidden or never discussed. Uh, the reaction of Langston Hughes' poem, he says, he laughs and he gets stronger and they'll apologize to me and I'll laugh and things like that. Uh, there's less of a triumphant turn mm. in this in this poem, not good or bad. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, there's that kind of like uh, I'll stick it to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'll show you. I, I'll rise. Yeah. you know the, those kind of sentiments. Yeah, and you don't w with the student's poem here. You it feels like it doesn't feel like defeat either. It feels like just simply naming. Right. You know, and this is like an exposure of what happens, and. Uh, probably also uh, some, not defeat, but 
various uh, notes of discouragement. You know, mm-hmm. I have I have epilepsy, but they aren't listening after that. Again, the naming, but to me, that in my sense, in my ear, that kind of has a connotation of this resigned sighing mm-hmm. um, and, and frustration. I really like Walt Whitman because I studied literature in college and I have to. But I always appreciated how cinematic mm. his vignettes were. Mm. And there was, a, there was a great discussion once about white, male, relatively comfortable living, mm. producing art that... I don't know how much one could argue he gives of himself in his work, but it's more like whether he's trying or not, he is being the objective, this is what I see, and here's a list of details about it. I don't think there's, in that, in that poem certainly, there's there's a larger resistance in the tone of what Whitman wrote, just by virtue of its originality, I think. Hmm. But it's less less focused than, than this poem uh, from this student and from Hughes. And I want to ask the students in the workshop, is one better than the other? What is, what is a poem? What's the point of a poem? Like, is it better to be cinematic or more specific, particularly? Or, or is, it, is one perspective more important than another? That and what's more needed in our society. What's more crucial to produce as a voice in whatever times? Yeah, I would, I would like to... And I'm sure people could call to mind people doing this. Um, I think Whitman's uh, view, cinematic view in his uh, Leaves of Grass is a is a foundational piece of literature for our country in the sense of it was one of the first. And I think it's whatever one's poetics, you have to encounter Whitman. I mean, mm-hmm. you just have to take him into account. But I'd like to, it'd be great to see such a cinematic, massive undertaking by other perspectives too mm-hmm. maybe other people are um could nominate a few people mm-hmm. that could take that role or are taking that role but his his is a inherently limited perspective just because he's one person mm-hmm. even though he'll say i'm mul- i am multitudes right. he's one person you know and you can experience various things but it's coming from a it's coming from his perspective yeah so and i i think in in literature more and more we're seeing there's a push for more diversity at the table, as it were, mm-hmm. in the realm of publishing and poetry and fiction and, and more international, uh, meaning outside, getting outside what would traditionally be categorized in the Western canon, you know, and learning more about world literature and um, different voices, different perspectives. Um, I think that's a very important thing, particularly for Americans. Mm-hmm. I, I find poetry that's coming from outside North America or outside, outside America and Canada, um, to be quite refreshing, you know, and yet I'm, you know, I'm in America. I write from an American perspective. And so, you know, I pay attention to that too. It's just, I I feel like poetry coming in from outside the continent. And I would include in that Mexico, even though they're part of the continent, what I'm getting at is just the Canadian U S the writing scene that I'm more familiar with, it's nice to have outside perspective. It feels like fresh air, mm-hmm. and and often the subject matter is more about. I don't know how to characterize it. I feel like it's more about being a citizen in the world, and a poet in the world, than it is poetry professor in the academy right. kind of feel. Right. And I love a lot of poetry that comes out of. <laughs> 
the professors in the academy. So it's not a knock against against that. I just I like it to be a, a fuller perspective, and so I've been trying to just make sure that I'm expanding my own reading. But mm-hmm. I think in the canon in general, that's a good thing, and so we're seeing that evolve in ways that are primarily good. I think mm-hmm. for other voices to be part of the conversation. Yeah, it's a it's a powerful poem. I, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, one of the I think one of the more powerful poems that have come out of this specific prompt. It's such a courageous declaration, even to to say I too sing America is. Well, I think it it's it's just I I, I like even as sitting here thinking you saying that it's courageous and it's needed because we hear, you know, if you're if you're tuned in at all mm-hmm. to television or news on the radio or newspapers, obviously there's all sorts of variations and kind of degrees of what we're talking about but there is kind of one dominant narrative of or or you could make a case for it being one kind of dominant narrative of negativity mm-hmm. and uh destruction chaos tension fighting violence um and so a poem like this brings another perspective it's another voice not only i to am america but here's another perspective this is going on too mm-hmm. and it and it subverts even reading it subverts temporarily the dominant narrative and you can get outside that and read something else and this is challenging too i wouldn't it's not negative it's it's challenging because it's by turns discouraging or um painful Mm -hmm. Um, but it feels it's it's more real it's more and in our case it's more local you know this is happening in our community Mm -hmm. this is someone in our community i also i was listening to an on being segment the other day which is a podcast I really like. And she, she was, ta- Krista Tippett was talking about one of the disciplines, and, and she would even call it a spiritual discipline. One of the disciplines she practices is she limits the amount of news she takes in. Mm-hmm. Because, which I think is great, you can't be oblivious, but you can't know everything. And she's saying, and I agree with it, that we shouldn't know everything. We as humans aren't created. The amount of information we can take in is mm-hmm. beyond our capacity to what we're actually probably created to be able to handle. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think this poem, I think this poem is a, it's a good insertion of not only in the canon and a riff and an aftering to previous works of literature, which it is, but it's also just this courageous statement, like you're saying, and an alternative perspective to the dominant stuff we're hearing mm-hmm. a lot. And maybe not, not an exact reversal or opposing, but just a different perspective that allows you to to kind of see things in a new light. And the creator of the poem putting this out for an audience to read, that put that puts the that puts it on us. I mean, you're saying it kind of puts the ball in our court mm-hmm. at a certain point. And I think I think for me this poem informs how I might interact with the specific student who wrote it. Mm-hmm. Like I can understand this student's perspective a bit better. And I did not know this before I read the poem. So I didn't know but it also, like, I guarantee you, if I'm talking to someone and they mention they have epilepsy, this poem's going to immediately come to my mind mm-hmm. in a really important way. This poem, reading this poem and the experience of being in the workshop when this student wrote it and knowing the student on an ongoing basis has changed me for the better. It's had a positive change in, in me. Mm-hmm. Part of my poetics and my thinking about poetry and language is that language is not... Words are not inactive. 
that words somehow have agency. So if we take them in, like food has agency when we take it in to help nourish us and change us, I think words can do that same thing. And mm -hmm. so this poem is a good example of that. By taking it in and reading it, I have been changed. And therefore, I see, I see the world differently uh, because of this poem. And that can happen over and over with anything we read. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, particularly if it's strong, vivid, important, um, and, and well-written, which mm -hmm. this is. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we talked around this poem <laughs> a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, but the, it brought up all these things, and then I like that, though. Because mm -hmm. yeah. I think like if we just read a poem on the podcast mm -hmm. and then kind of explicated it right that'd be people would i'd be bored you might be bored mm -hmm. we might not be bored actually it might be interesting we feel important about it <laughs> yeah we'd feel super smart but yeah. that, it's it would be boring i think it's like i think it's interesting to kind of like to to do that to talk around and then weave back into it and out of it little bunny trails here and there if people are listening to us interesting for whatever reason they find it interesting that that, that would be more intriguing than like a academic discussion right then like then a dissection of the code yeah. uh which there especially in this poem maybe maybe it seems more so in others um there is no code it's straightforward yeah, yeah. i don't know i think i think we're trying i feel like trying to strike a good balance between a few academic kind of insertions and then and then tying in the real literature and referencing it somebody's mm -hmm. reading it and talking about our what we do in underground writing in a way that mimic what's going on in the workshops we are not running a junior mfa program mm -hmm. there's no illusions about that but it's definitely a program that is a what we call literature based and teaching of craft based writing workshop and that is the door we enter and then we and then we have through that door and after we're inside then we we have the things like self-empowerment or self-expression and even therapeutic elements but but we're very much engaged with the literature and, and talking about literary techniques in a, in a brief introductory way. And if the students respond, and sometimes you'll have a student that it's obvious that, that they're sort of well-versed, at least at an introductory level to that, and then you can engage further. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. What's going on in the world of underground writing? This month, uh, at the end of August, the last week of August, we will have an intensive workshop in juvenile detention at the site there. And this will be the second time we've done this. In August, they do not have school while mm -hmm. they're inside. It's the one month of the year that they don't go to school while they're in there. And so we're going to do uh, Monday through Friday, mid-morning. We will have a workshop five days in a row. And this allows us to have some continuity with the students in there. It also allows us to do something unique. Last time we did an intensive, we just did a lot of kind of workshop planning that was connected to each other with various prompts and that sort of thing. This time, uh, we're real excited to do a, a week-long intensive on the book, on a certain book, one book. And the book that we've chosen is called Long Way Down. It's a young adult novel by Jason Reynolds, and it is currently... It was released last year, and it's currently sweeping all the young adult fiction awards. Basic setup is that uh, the main character's brother has been murdered in, in gang violence, and he is in his apartment, grabs a gun, and heads to the elevator to go downstairs and seek revenge. 
the whole novel takes place in under two minutes. And then on the, he lives on the seventh floor of his apartment building. Each floor that he goes down, the elevator stops and a ghost gets on. And the ghost is a person that he knows mm -hmm. from his past or present. And they have a discussion. And the discussion can be anything from memories to what are you doing right now to insights into his life and his brother. The book is written in a free verse poem. It's a very quick read. The message, uh, we're not doing it only for the message, but I think the message is thinking through alternatives to violence for, for our problems. Um, and I think the youth inside Judy are really going to respond well to the text. It's written in a format and language and subject matter that they're going to be interested in. One of our teachers, Jennifer Bradbury, is a young adult novelist herself, and her and Jason have the same publisher and editor. And so he is going to get us a bunch of free copies for the students, mm -hmm. uh, likely to be signed. And even though he's on a world book tour, there's a possibility he might drop in via Skype to do a little chat with the students. That might not work, uh, granted, but we're excited about the possibility. And at the end of the workshop, each student will finalize a piece of writing that Jen Bradbury will help us facilitate getting those pieces of student writing to Jason Reynolds and the editor as a thank you. So it's a really cool project and Jen, Jen put together kind of an overview curriculum structure for us and she's an extremely talented teacher. I'm excited for all of us to get to engage with her ideas and curriculum and, and to kind of modify it per teacher personality a little uh, for our various workshops and, and have fun have fun doing it. It's the first time we've done something like this, and it's so exciting. Listeners, if you would be interested in hearing about the response from juvenile detention students as they read through this book about violence and gang activity, stay tuned. So the kids in juvenile detention are in school every month except for August. What do they do aside from undergone writing intensive workshops when they're not in school? There is an allowance for, or the, there's the ability for juvenile detention to bring in more programming. So um, the youth in juvenile detention, you know, they have a fairly rigid schedule in the sense of wake up, breakfast, exercise time, clean up, go mm -hmm. to school, rec time, programming time, bedtime. Um, it's pretty set day to day. I don't know the number of programs that comes into juvenile detention, but there are quite a few of them. And I know that they have made an effort and have achieved the effort to bring in good programming and to have quite a bit of it offered mm -hmm. and quite a variety offered and that their their plate is really full. They don't have room for a lot more programming at this point. So in August, they have all those hours freed up, um, which allows for, for us to do unique things. So the, at least in you know the last week of August, we'll fill up a good portion of half their day. And, and I hope um, other programming, you know, comes in there to fill in the gaps. Can you give us some examples of the other programs that they have? They have some church programs come in, chaplaincy programs come in. They have things like Alcoholics Anonymous. They have time where they're going to meet with, say, their public defender, mm -hmm. or they're going to meet with their, they have visit time, family visit time. The juvenile detention here in Skagit County, which is under really super proactive and solid leadership, has really made an effort to, and are doing it um, successfully, treating the youth as seeing them not, quote unquote, as only inmates, but as people that need coaching 
That's how they describe it. Right. The guards and the and the staff there are seeing themselves as coaches and trying to mentor the youth. And I think it's it's really beneficial to the youth in there. And um, and I think I think the youth leave there, no matter if they feel like, you know, I've been pinned up and just want to get out. And I want to get out. And I'm really frustrated at that. I think they realize the staff there and the leadership there does care about them. Mm-hmm. And I find that very encouraging. So you mentioned Randy Brewer. She's the site host at the YMCA Oasis Daylight Center. We have something coming up with her, right? Yeah. We're going to do a feature um, on the podcast called the Underground Writing Community Spotlight. And that is someone that's connected to underground writing in one way or another. Do a little podcast featuring that person. So our first go at this is going to be uh, Randy Brewer from the YMCA Oasis Daylight Center. She's the site host the person that we dialogue with about how it's going or what we need or what they need. The community can get to know her a bit better and, and see what she has to say about her work and her interaction with underground writing. And, and we hope you enjoy it. So be on the lookout for that in the next few weeks. Here's a small preview of the upcoming podcast with Randy Brewer. My part in underground writing has been not only as the facilitator, bring them in here, but I also get to participate with youth, which is the highlight of my day. It's so amazing to see youth come in here and they say, oh, I can't write or I'm not good at creative writing and I don't want to do that. And then they meet our facilitator and they see what we're doing and suddenly, you know, they're a poet and they're a reader. And that's something that they didn't come in here thinking. Today's featured writing is from What No One Ever Tells You, Underground Writing's first anthology of student writing. The book is scheduled for release in fall 2018. We'll have another episode for you in a couple of weeks. Let us know what you thought about this episode. Email us at info at undergroundwriting.org. Connect with us via our website, undergroundwriting.org. Spread the word about our work by mentioning us on social media. The Underground Writing Podcast is recorded and produced by Alvin Shim and Underground Writing. You can access it via iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast outlets as well as on our website, where we include links of interest connected to items mentioned in each episode. The featured music for this podcast is by the Eisenhowers from the album The Road We Once Knew. Our current theme music is provided by Luis Lopez and the Migrant Leaders Club in the Mount Vernon School District. I'm Alvin Shim. And I'm Matt Malian. Thanks for listening. <laughs>